Oh, come on. That's funny. That's really funny. I mean, I'm the only person who wears a helmet to work who isn't like putting out fires or like racing for NASCAR. But what do you do? I mean, I can't quit. Their insurance is amazing. What do you do? You laugh, you know? I'm not saying I don't cry, but in between, I laugh and I realize how silly it is to take anything too seriously. Plus, I look forward to a good cry. Feels pretty good. I haven't cried since I was a little kid. I didn't cry at my mother's funeral. I tried, you know? I thought of all the saddest things I could think of, like things in movies, this... There's this image from Life magazine that's always haunted me, and I just focused in on it, you know? But nothing came. That actually made me sadder than anything, the fact that I just felt so numb. What do you mean? Just a... Hey, vagina! Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, Sam, it's Mark, Dave, and you remember Jesse? Hey. What's up? Hey, nice to meet you. I'm sorry I said vagina just now. I didn't know you were here. Oh, that's okay. Nice. Let's get fucked up. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 215, Garden State, and this is listener request number 12, courtesy of Nate. This is uh, just a flashback to the worst version of Matt, and I think, you know, we've been through many versions of Matt throughout the years. Really, what do you mean 2004, Matt? Yeah, it's just not a likable one. <laughs> Actually, I mean, my years with Garden State were really more like 06, you know? Okay, same era. Right, but whew. Yeah, this is an interesting choice, and we're going to blame it all on Nate for picking it. <laughs> but Actually, no, we should say Nate provided several choices. I remember liking all of his choices, but I felt like this would be the easiest one for us to do. Some of his choices seem like a little more difficult yeah to try to handle this is a tough one though in terms of like our normal format of just kind of going beat by beat through the plot because there's like four moments in the plot and that's kind of it it's hard to discuss zach braff just sort of staring out into space i would say that in terms of the episodes we've done already on the show Garden State, as a movie, probably feels the most similar to American Beauty in the sense that in recent years there has been somewhat of a backlash or For sure. a reevaluation to this movie where people now sort of... People hate on it almost to the point that it actually makes me want to be more defensive of it. I would say the backlash is less than American Beauty, but that's only because American Beauty was such a huge movie and one best picture. Sure. This was a sleeper hit that made about 35 million, which actually I kind of thought was surprising. 
that it was a hit? Just the fact that it, it made $35 million. I mean, that's more than I would have suspected. Although it seemed like it had a pretty long, like, festival run. Yeah, and it just sort of became an instant cult hit where people that were into movies and stuff knew about it and talked about it. And, you know, that sort of a thing. It wasn't everywhere like American Beauty, which, you know, made, what did we say, like 300 million or something? It wasn't that sort of a thing. So the backlash, I think, is lesser because it didn't, it had lesser to fall. But I also think it's equally as ridiculous. But I don't want to turn this into that episode where we just spend an hour and a half. <laughs> complaining really that people don't get it. Yeah, no, and I, I, I think that we're gonna have some fun with it. I do think that there's things to goof on here, but I do feel like the Garden State hate is a bit much. Too. Oh yeah, for sure. But I do find myself wondering, like, I mean, listen, I loved this movie <laughs> during this era. I did find myself relating to it. Whether you think that's annoying or not, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yes, I was annoying when I was 19. Yeah, this is definitely a movie that would be big amongst the college age up until probably about 30. And then I I think you hit a point where... Yeah, there's no turning back. You're sort of annoyed by these characters. Well, you start to feel like, am I Mark when you're a (laughs) 26-year-old? And like your mom's like, Mark's getting into real estate because you're just like, there's nothing going on. But I I did find myself thinking like this view, is it something that like a a 19-year-old today, would it resonate with them? It feels very specific to that era. I think that certainly people on the verge of adulthood and not really knowing where they're going with their life is something that will always exist, but this version of it seems very specific. Well, part to this of the era. appeal is the soundtrack, which is very of the time. Absolutely. And the soundtrack was like a big deal. It won a Grammy and everything. And also, Zach Braff was a much bigger star. I think now he's sort of just a guy that we know was in stuff. <laughs> And had made well, a couple movies, but he's not in your face. Like, Scrubs was, you know, on the air back then, and I believe, right? I think it was around the same time, yeah. I think it had been on a couple seasons, probably. I just think now, you know, obviously it would require an update to the cast, and there's certain aspects of it that don't age particularly well. I think when this came out, it felt like Zach Braff had more movies in them as a director but that really didn't come to be yeah he had to like crowdsource that one i wish you were here yeah and and it kind of came and went with no one really caring about it and even that it was like 10 years after garden state so before we jump into 2004's garden state let's remind our listeners to follow the show on twitter at greatest pod where you can request a free sticker from us so please do so. You can hit me up, and then I'll I'll slide it over to the DMs. I'll get your right. info. We'll yeah. send you a free sticker, no strings attached. And we got can... a whole process worked out where you slide into the DMs, Zach takes a screenshot of it, and then texts it to me. Yeah, yeah. it's a, a whole multi-step right. deal. <laughs> and then you can also request something for us to cover on the show, which is what Nate did, and now we're doing Garden State. We have another listener request coming up next week as well. Make sure you're subscribed to the show on Apple Podcasts or Podbean. Give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you're telling your friends about the show. We'd love to see those download numbers increase. We really count possible. on that word of mouth. That's really all we got. Yeah. Stickers and word of mouth. If it's not that, it ain't happening. No. There's no other promotion at work here. This is all a <laughs> DIY situation. Yeah, really just bare bones the fact that we're even still doing this five years in is insane 
Yeah. No well, one else would have this kind of drive to keep doing this show. More boredom, I guess. I mean, it's not happening for you guys. Just when are you going to figure that out? Well, you know what? The trick is to not care if you have two listeners or two billion listeners. It doesn't make any difference. We just like talking about movies. I don't know if you can tell it. by our letterbox accounts, but there's not a lot else going on in life. No, certainly not. And finally, follow us on Letterboxd. <laughs> Zach1983 and Matt Crosby. Things are really heating up there. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, Zach just pissing people off by like saying that their rating is wrong on everything they put up. I only do that to Matt and to Matt's friends. <laughs> Which is never, most of the people that listen to the show. Never anyone that we don't know. Including me. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I feel it every time I see someone rate something. That's right, yeah. <laughs> anyway... I think that covers all that stuff. So let's just talk about Garden State. It was a weird time for everyone. People were listening to Bright Eyes and shopping at Hot Topic. Oh, yeah. And people thought Zach Braff was potentially a movie star. We'll get into Zach Braff a little bit as we go. Maybe it's it weird just... to say it, but I think he's the thing that holds this movie back from being really, really great. Yeah, but I do just feel like people really hate him, and I don't know if it's because of this movie. I don't know if we should get into all that right now. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Part of it, he's dating Florence Pugh, who's like so much younger, yeah, well, and that I, really I, drives people insane. Yeah, I know, but th- this whole thing goes... I, I feel like it's been a decade of people not yeah. really being into Zach Brown. I don't know. Scrubs is like inexplicably very popular still. Yeah. Or at least it had like that very loyal fan base that sure, went on sure. forever. Yeah. I had a time where I watched it oh, for a I while. Oh, I Scrubs. I mean, I didn't... Towards the end, I... I I was out on it, but it, like I, there was things that I liked there. I thought it was kind of a unique show for what it was, but I don't know. It, it just it just feels like as the Garden State years passed and people started to have <laughs> a negative view on some of the stuff, including like you know just the the mid two thousands like emo phase. People started yeah, it's to weird because like, I associate this movie with emo, even though that's not really what the soundtrack is. Absolutely, it's, it's much right. more like more indie. indie. Yeah. yeah. But it, it's sort of that appeals to that sort of era. Yes. I think to summarize, both Matt and I really liked this movie back then. I don't think either of us had watched it in a long time. No, no, yeah. And now we're revisiting it. And I still found it pretty funny and amusing. I do think that the characters, including Natalie Portman, who we usually love, and even his friends, who are, I think, mostly comedic relief, although I guess there is some depth there that we can get into, but... They're all sort of annoying. Yeah, yeah. But that also might just be That's time. how it would be, though, maybe. I think there's some reality there. Oh, yeah, for sure. But, I mean, even Zach Braff and Natalie Portman, who we're supposed to really like and care about. Oh, yeah, yeah. Everything they do kind of annoys me. And it's not really intentional either. Because we're supposed to find her, like, cutesy and adorkable. And he's supposed to be, like, oh, serious and depressed and... His problems really matter, and yet I was just sort of like, oh. <laughs> anyway, as you may have guessed, Garden State was written and directed by Zach Braff. It had a budget of $2.5 million. It made 35.8 at the box office. I think it's safe to assume it's made a fair amount more in yeah, rentals and sales but since. That, I think that is kind of weird. Was he not really ever approached about doing something as a follow-up to this? I don't know. It just... Does that not surprise you a little no. bit, though? It happens. You just write and direct. Well, one he's movie an actor. He was. Do, he had hit. to do like thirty episodes of Scrubs every year. 
I think this was a labor of love that took a long time. Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, it seems like he he might have got offered stuff, but he probably turned it down because yeah, he didn't have okay. time to do it. Fine. It seemed like he started writing it in college, made it almost ten years later. Yeah. Which I think shows a little bit, right? You mean because his character seems older than it should be? Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. The title of the film alludes to both the nickname for New Jersey and also to lines from Andrew Marvell's poem, The Garden, in a line that says, quote, Such was that happy garden state while man there walked without a mate. And it's garden-state, as in like a state of mind, I think, is okay. sort of the idea of like being motionless or without yeah. upward mobility. He took inspiration from Harold and Maude, Annie Hall, Manhattan, and Alexander Payne movies. The one that it seems like it's always compared to is The Graduate, which there's, I think, some yeah, of that there. Yeah, that also yeah. could be there. Partly autobiographical, about delayed intellectual emotional maturity, suspended animation, and waking up and realizing life is passing you by. Sort of a traditional... Did you ever wake up and realize that? or Every was, day. I, I just feel like... <laughs> I've gotten I, used to it. I don't think I've realized it. Like, I just live in a perpetual life is passing me by. Well, <laughs> ignorance is bliss. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully we'll all be dead soon. Yeah, yeah. We're working on it. I think when most people think about Garden State, they think about the soundtrack, which was a huge thing and introduced the world at large to a lot of these bands, especially the Shins. I'll always associate new slang with this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember particularly being aware of the shins before this. It's hard to really remember I specifics had a about that. Before Garden State that was very into the shins. But then that hated time, them because of this no, movie. No, no, I mean Sold by, out. The, by the time Garden State came out, that bridge was well burned. Burnt to a crisp. <laughs> Didn't really ever get her take on Garden State or the soundtrack or <laughs> what she felt about the shins being featured on it. In addition to The Shins, it has Coldplay, Remy Zero, Nick Drake, Simon and Garfunkel, Iron and Wine, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, yeah, that Iron and Wine Postal Service cover. Yeah, which I'm sure we talked about in our On the Record episode on the Postal yeah, really. Service Go about how I think I was more familiar with the Iron and okay, Wine yeah, version yeah. first. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Okay, maybe. So the big thing is that this movie has experienced a reevaluation in recent years. People find some of the aspects of the film problematic. Or at the very least, undesirable I in today's like modern age. It's become the poster child of the manic pixie dream girl thing. Although I think actually Kirsten Dunst and Elizabeth Town was the thing that started that. That's when the, the right. term was. Coined, <laughs> but that movie but... no one cares about. Right, or right. Likes. So this is the one that people point to like way more. The guy that originally that. coined that phrase has now like taken it back and tried yeah, to like Yeah, because he's he's like I didn't realize it was going to be this annoying that people Well, yeah, think, and it's yeah. become a thing and people accuse characters of being From that. every movie. Yeah, now. and it, it's yeah. it's a handicap, Way it's overdone. a crutch. Yeah. People use it in every review. People I also people have... accuse Zoe Dachanel of being that in real life. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a joke. Yeah, yeah, that's but it's funny. But it is like her actual existence is called that now. So I think it it's taken on a life of its own. I do think that the character of Sam is somewhat one-dimensional, and she does exist in this plot to serve the main character. I agree, although I've also started, to, and I've kind of fallen into that over the years, too, Like where I think that's a fair thing to be critical of the movie about. But I'm also like, I think you can view it under a, a different lens, too, where you're like, you get to the end, and the end of the movie happens, and it's like this big 
cathartic moment for the male character. But then you are just like, well, couldn't you look at this and be like, these characters are making a huge mistake? Well, yeah, but what I was going to say was... <laughs> Go ahead. All of those things might be true, but I feel like that is going to be potentially an issue of a first-person designed movie. And so this movie is first-person perspective of one main character. It's not about the other characters. Yeah. So if Sam was a male character, that character would be just as one-dimensional as just as one-dimensional as his friends who are male characters. And I think the problem is not the existence of those types of characters, which are always somewhat unbelievable anyway. Oh, yeah. It's more the fact that more women weren't having opportunities to have scripts developed or scripts made, or I don't know, maybe there weren't as many women writing them. I, I Whatever the situation is, because I think if the character of Andrew Largeman in Garden State was Andrea Largeman, and the character was of Sam was a boy, then the movie would still function exactly the same, except that's you right. would be saying it's a manic pixie dream boy yeah, yeah. instead. And that's just because it would be told from the first person character who is now female rather well, than male. Well, it would be uh, Felicity. Yeah, I just think that... <laughs> Does that reference resonate with you? No. I, I mean, I, I know the show. I yeah, I, but it's like the same. I mean, she moved. She went to fucking college at the same place as this dude based on like some dream that he's awesome and i don't know it's like kind of the same idea that like it it can exist i think people prefer the idea like in paper towns or in 500 (laughs) days of summer where the manic pixie dream girl reality comes crashing down because people are people and not constructs but is it not something that actually happens though too where people like project this thing onto someone that yeah, it and it, I'm saying it usually turns out like Blue Valentine, which is what we talked about, where yeah, yeah. He, he kind of projects this idea onto her, and it and doesn't really happen. And that's what really I was getting at. I happen. mean, watching Blue Valentine recently, now I'm like, Garden State, we're just heading towards a Blue Valentine situation. They're going to go to the future. Right, room. and I'm just saying that people would prefer that. They don't yeah. want to see this idealized version because they don't think it's real or whatever. I think the whole thing's sort of overblown. Her character... I don't know what what more people want. If it's like if they insert a few lines of her saying, you know, I really want to be a, a musician or something. You know, if they give her her own goals and her own purposes, then they seem to like that more, and it's not criticized as much. But all that really boils down to is like, can we insert lines of dialogue of them saying that? Because all this movie is is people talking anyway. Right. Right. So I don't know. I just yeah. think it's sort of like a, a boring criticism because it's like, what difference would it make if we know what her goals are? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if you don't like the movie because it's a first-person perspective male movie, then that's fine. I don't think inserting random crowbar in dialogue to suggest that she has more of an interior life is really going to change the movie. Yeah, and the more I go on, I am just like, is something wrong with Sam? Because, <laughs> I mean... I was telling you before the show, and this has always kind of like stuck with me because when I first saw Garden State, not the Shin's girlfriend, but the next one, knew that I was a big Natalie Portman. I mean, you know, who wasn't into Natalie Portman from Phantom Menace through Closer? (laughs) Well, hopefully, only people that were approximately her age, not like full blown adults. Right, like us. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. When they saw Phantom Menace as a middle schooler. We had watched Closer together. She knew I was super in it, Natalie Portman, but she had seen Garden State and I hadn't and was kind of explaining like, well, I don't think you'd be into her in Garden State, telling me that like something's wrong with her. Yeah. I, like she has problems and stuff. 
So then I, you're talking aside from the epilepsy, right? There's yeah, something she's super annoying with her. <laughs> like that's basically the way that she was acting about the character. So then I I saw it and I was like, okay, yeah. So I I've always kind of like watched it under this guise of besides epilepsy, she seems like there's there's something off with her. She's well, not yeah, like a I always felt person. that way too. Yeah, yeah. I think it's because she's too quirky, right? Which is a part of the thing. So in case people are confused. <laughs> I just want to read this from Wikipedia okay, just so okay, everyone okay. can get on the same page. A manic pixie dream girl is a stock character type in films. Film critic Nathan Rabin, who coined the term after observing Kirsten Dunst's character in Elizabethtown, said that the manic pixie dream girl exists solely in the fevered imaginations of sensitive writer-directors to teach broodingly soulful young men to embrace life and its infinite mysteries and adventures. So right off the bat, you can see oh, yeah. where that applies to Garden State. Manic Pixie Dream Girls are said to help their men without pursuing their own happiness, and such characters never grow up, thus their men never grow up. Now, this takes place only over a couple of days, and again, I know that everybody thinks that every movie should have every single thing crammed into it so that we can all be happy, but this I just think that sometimes movies are very much told from the perspective of the lead character, and thus every other character is sort of only half developed and that's just how that works in other words you just said it's sort of like the graduate well do we know a lot about Catherine ross's character in the graduate it's just sort of like the other characters become the background setting to the main character's journey and if people don't like the main character then they're going to pick on these little things and fixate on them but if they do like the main character then it sort of gets forgiven and so people who find Zach Braff's character in this movie annoying, or they don't like the idea of it, then they're going to sort of nitpick this stuff to death. Yeah. And their criticisms, of course, are always valid because they are true, but I'm saying it's a conceit of this type of movie that that's just going to happen. I a bigger complaint would maybe be like when we talked about True Romance, which does feel like much more of a 50-50 yeah. story, and Alabama does seem sort of like totally. a manic pixie dream girl, and yet the movie is half about her. And she beats James Gandolfini. <laughs> yeah, in there's enough fight. in the yeah. movie that people sort of don't accuse that character of being right, that, right. even though like her existence is completely insane. I'd say so. Sometimes it's fair. less about the believability of the character than it is about what the character gets to do. Right. So there is sort of a trade-off. The Manic Pixie Dream Girl has been compared to another stock character, the Magical Negro, a black character who seems to exist only to provide spiritual, mystical help to the white savior protagonist. In both cases, the stock character has no discernible inner life and usually exists only to provide the protagonist some important life lessons. So, I get why the Magical Negro character it's problematic because it's usually a situation where it's your one token black actor or actress appearing in a film, and it's always sort of the same thing. I think my point of reading that second paragraph is to say that it's sort of ridiculous to compare the Manic Pixie Dream Girl stock character to that because I just think that like an underdeveloped character is different from a character that might be inherently racist. I would agree. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that it's sort like, of one seems like more of a problem than the other. It's sort of asinine to compare the two. I do think that this is the biggest thing that people point out about Garden State. I do think there are other things now too that people sort of yeah. nitpick a little bit. At one point I was kind of over the years buying into it a little bit like okay, fine, but 
last story for me because I feel like there's been a, a few too many. Like I've made this episode too personal so far, but um, <laughs> not personal enough. This is, I just feel like you're gonna hate this story. So, <laughs> in, in like I, I don't know when it was, you know, 2012 era, sometime around there. I was listening to this podcast. Oh no. Yeah right. <laughs> okay, so the girl, her name's like Elizabeth Lame, and the name of the podcast was totally lame, and she doesn't do it anymore. But she's like an LA writer or something like that, and. She would have guests on that you know, like comedians and, and people that you'd recognize. But every guest, she did this game, Totally Lame, where she would say something and you would have to say totally if you liked it and lame if you didn't. And it was the same things every single time. And one of them was Garden State the movie. And almost every single guest said lame. And I was like, geez, I, I, everybody hates this movie. <laughs> it has kind of made me over the years just be like, I, I don't feel like it deserves this level of vitriol it's like overkill well i i think that sometimes things it becomes things become trendy to yeah that's on. i think so plus i'm sure this sounds like a loser nerd podcast Absolutely. i'm sure a lot of the people were jealous that they didn't get to make their movies well yeah but I also, somebody who was basically them gets a big break and ends up on a tv show and then all of a sudden they're able to make their movie from their script that gets good reviews and makes money and now, is part of it that we all related to this movie at a certain time, but we're embarrassed about that? Oh yeah, of that's always part that, of it too. It? Yeah, I think we'll we'll get into it more as we go. But I think the biggest impediment to this movie might be Braff himself, not as a writer or as a director, but as a performer. I can't help but think that if there was a more interesting actor in the lead, that maybe there wouldn't be this sort of modern retake on it that people would just sort of accept it as is it's possible yeah i don't know what the deal is but it does seem like he seems very punchable <laughs> to a lot of people surely so garden state is the story of andrew largeman played by braff who is a struggling actor living in la he's depressed heavily medicated it opens on a plane crash dream and in this dream yeah he has a complete lack of reaction, which right away I was sort of like annoyed by that. Although you still kind of could relate to that today, I feel like. The if plane, I was in a plane crash? The plane's going down. No, and I would be like... f- freaking out. <laughs> You'd just be freaking out like getting on the plane. <laughs> no, I can get on a plane. Okay. So the movie is basically, for most of its running time, a nonstop depiction of depression. This is sort of a pet peeve of mine because actors like to portray depressed people a lot. It's sort of a favorable thing. It's a it's sure. a character that recurs over and over in all types of things because a lot of people are depressed. It's just yeah. natural. I think we found a lot of damaged people end up going into the arts. And- this isn't a specific criticism of Braff because I do think that what he's doing is realistic, but it's not interesting. His okay. portrayal in this yeah. movie is him staring off into space is not a performance for me. I just don't know how that really constitutes anything. Yeah. I feel like there needs to be more, and it's just like, I get it. He's numb and medicated. That's the whole point. Well, it doesn't necessarily make it an interesting lead character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At give a certain give point, me Billy Bob Thornton and Bad Santa well, for yeah, depression. Give me something like, to look at. You know what? I'm not really surprised that Andrew Largeman isn't getting cast in more things. He doesn't seem particularly charismatic. Yeah, well, that's a big part of the, what doesn't age well, where he's basically like, I can only get 
cast as a handicapped person because I'm so medicated now or something like that. Right, Doesn't right. he say that? Yeah, something. <laughs> the conversations about handicaps, mental disabilities, stuff like that in this movie, just free-flowing yeah, in yeah. a way that people would be walking on eggshells now and probably not bring up at all in their movie. Sure. It's very casual. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I, you know, we'll get to the part where the R word just thrown around, <laughs> you know. But the just weird thing flowing is, like crazy. Yeah, you want to know what's crazy? It's like I looked at like Roger Ebert's review of this movie, and he just writes it out too in that. Well, this is what we're coming up on oh, seventeen years yeah, ago. Right. This, things were way different. I know. Then. Yeah. This. I, so I guess was this pre Janet Jackson? It would have been like the same year, but wow, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. So we were like reaching that breaking point. <laughs> I don't know if that had anything to do with this. This is <laughs> well. That's when the, you know we started the downward slope after the Super Bowl. I can't really think of the right actor because it's hard to really put myself in that 2004 mindset. But you know, I brought up somebody. He's probably he may be probably a little younger than Braff, but in my recommendations last week with Adam Brody, he would have been on oh, the yeah. OC at this time. Yeah, I think Brody is like way better of an actor than Zach Braff. That's just my personal opinion. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. That's somebody just throwing someone out there. Yeah. That could have been better. He might have seemed. That's the thing with him. He's always like the fountain of youth over there. And even though he's probably older than Natalie Portman or the same age, at least he he would almost it seem too to young. Right. In a weird way. Andrew wakes up from the plane crash stream to a telephone message from his father telling him that he needs to return home immediately because his mother has died. What so, a way to fucking break the news, Pops. Well, I think his dad explains in the message. Yeah. He just doesn't answer or ever call That's him back, true. ever. That's true, yeah. Which makes sense. Just this, this life that Andrew Largeman is living in California, you're not getting the sense that there's a lot of friends. Yeah, it doesn't seem like anything's going on. It seems like he works at this Vietnamese restaurant. And then lays in bed. Yeah. How does he make enough money to stay in L.A.? I don't know. I guess he occasionally acts. Yeah. He had the one big thing, which I get the impression was a TV movie, but that's only because Sam says she saw it on TV, but I don't really know what the story is with that part. Yeah. I don't know. I would like to see that movie. He also doesn't seem like he could pull that role off. Yeah, the way he's behaving in this trip to New Jersey that he's going to take, I can't really imagine him acting at all. I know. I agree. I do like, I don't know if you were planning on covering this at all, the the brief scene we see him working at the no. Vietnamese restaurant. No, because the movie that I want to see is about this girl that's just a complete bitch. I want to know why he used to wear that makeup. Yeah, that seems insensitive. Yeah, it was. was that to make him look Asian? I don't know. It, it's horrible. Andrew leaves L.A. and returns home to New Jersey. There's a continued lack of emotion. I think it's interesting that the way that the movie's edited, it goes basically from him leaving L.A. to just being at the funeral. Right. There's no welcoming him there. We don't see him interacting hey, with his dad yeah. or anything. He's just at the funeral. The funeral ends, and he recognizes the gravediggers at the funeral. <laughs> you and me. As old friends, Mark and Dave. Mark is going to feature more prominently. Dave sort of fades to the background. Mark is played by Peter Sarsgaard, who I believe this was like maybe the first time I can remember him being in something that I recognized. Hard to say for me. But yeah, it seemed for a while that people were pegging him to be like one of the next big actors. Yeah. 
as far as like serious is, actors, not movie stars. And it never really he was, played um, out like that. John Malkovich's son in The Man in the Iron Mask. I remember that. <laughs> okay. How about that? Pull. See, I know stuff about movies. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's good. I don't think I ever saw that. Yeah, I mean, you're not missing out, but. <laughs> I like how Leo DiCaprio wears this iron mask. He comes out of that thing looking fine. Like, no problems with his face because of that. I think his face would be pretty fucked up, <laughs> if I'm being honest. <laughs> I think he's going to yeah. have a lot of problems. I'm thinking we'll probably never do that for the pod, so this is the most no, man, we're in never the iron, doing that. man in the Iron Mask material that you'll ever hear on this show. If we're doing any Leo DiCaprio post-Titanic moments, it'll be the beach. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the beach is great. I heard it disparaged on a podcast recently, and it sort of drove me insane. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's good. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. We're beach stands on this podcast, that's for sure. Mark and Dave invite Andrew to a party later, so right away he's back in the hometown mix. Do you think that you would approach these dudes? This is not a couple years. This is like 10 years, so this is dudes that you knew in like elementary or middle school, and you haven't seen them in nine years or whatever it is. I think I would pretend like I didn't know them. Is it 10 years? I thought it was he hasn't been back in town, and I thought it was nine years, I thought. It depends how close they were. Okay. I th- don't think it was middle school, though, because I think he says he went to boarding school when he was 16. Oh, okay. High school, then. Yeah. I think if you get into the teen years, All right. Yeah, that's might a little bit close. tighter. Yeah. But to answer your question, no. Yeah, right. yeah certainly. <laughs> they could have been people I was best friends with a year ago, and no. Yeah, I mean, if, <laughs> I, saw, still no. if I saw you at a grocery store, I feel like you'd like turn down an I aisle. do sometimes yeah. avoid people. When I see them out. Yeah, just panic mode. Yeah. yeah. You gotta get away. I, oh, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> God forbid, like, my phone rings and it's not, like, some random number. It's actually a number I have in my phone. Yeah, that's right. I'm throwing the phone right out the window. <laughs> <laughs> At home, Andrew's father gets him a doctor's appointment for headaches that he's been having. And you can tell instantly they have this bizarre, detached relationship so far into the movie, we don't really know what the deal is. We're only getting like drips and drabs. His mother was paralyzed. Doesn't really seem to be much of a story there, though, yet. We know he's weird, and he's completely devoid of any yeah. emotion. Well, his dad's Ian Holm, Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> so right away, you're like, well, that's weird. But he's very like dry and standoffish. There, there's certainly not a lot of warmth there. Andrew's going to go to this party. He's riding around in a motorcycle with a sidecar. That's right. I think this is my favorite needle drop moment of the movie. The Carrying His Creepy Shins song that kicks on. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Of all the ones, that's my favorite one. I don't know, man. New slang for me. Still, it's an all-time song. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Yeah. (laughs) I think that one of the things that irks people about this movie, but they can't quite just come out and say it so they have to like come up with this other stuff to complain about is how quirky the movie is in general and it's just like oh lol so random like motorcycle with a sidecar desert storm trading cards you know what i yeah, mean yeah yeah guy who works at the ren fair or whatever <laughs> medieval times medieval times like way better you know like stuff like fair. that it's just so weird and random everything yeah. has to be so random i don't know i'm sort of hit or miss on it I think some of the stuff works, some of it doesn't. Some of the jokes are actually pretty funny. Some, to me now, in 2021, fall flat. But there are some well-constructed humorous moments. I think so. 
And he gets pulled over by this guy that he ends up knowing, Kenny the cop. Yeah, and this actor is actually was in like other Zach Braff stuff. I think he was in a couple episodes of Scrubs. He was in that movie, uh, The Last Kiss, that Zach Braff was in a couple years after this. I think there's a relationship there. <laughs> and this guy's like formerly a, a party guy, and now he's a cop, and Andrew wants to know what's going on, and he's like, it's time to grow up sort of a recurring thing through the movie it's not super subtle is how a lot of the characters no matter who they are or what they're doing they all sort of convey the same message and either they will flat out say it's time to grow up like kenny the cop or you'll see how they're juxtaposed against andrew's life and where he would fit in or how they compare to his family or how they compare to this or that we'll cover some of those things as we go But it's, in all fairness, not necessarily the most subtle movie at times when it comes to this message. But the movie was a success because it's funny. I mean, there are laughs in the movie, and Kenny starts out this recurring bit of everyone saying he's the Jersey De Niro. (laughs) Which I actually think is funny. Watching it last night, all these Jersey trash people just calling him De Niro, comparing him to De Niro when he played this handicapped quarterback on like a possibly made for tv movie was making me laugh so we get to the party we meet jesse who invented some silent velcro and thus became super wealthy because he sold the idea yeah reminded me of nadine from twin peaks yeah yeah silent drape drape runners runners. yeah other people at the party are bringing up de niro everyone's excited to talk about the deer hunter and then the one guy is talking about serpico which is pacino (laughs) yeah right (laughs) takes a weird turn Andrew smokes pot and takes ecstasy at the party. Still doesn't really seem to be experiencing things in the moment. They play spin the bottle, which is weird. Yes, it is. This whole sequence, though, is very defining of the era, I feel like. This music playing, 07 in the waiting line, and, like, the people going, like, super, like, the whole night going and, like, fast forward. I mean, this just reminds me of this era. Yeah, they could not make the visualization anymore. On the nose. The right, party right. is literally happening around oh, him yeah, yeah, yeah. as he just sits there. In the morning, Andrew wakes up at Mark's house, which I... Was that where the party was? No, no. Yeah, Definitely not. So. Definitely not. It seemed like it was somebody... They were in this whole like weird golf, golf room. bar room. Yeah. yeah. Mark seems like he lives in a pretty dumpy house with his mom. Yeah. He wakes up seeing a guy in full-blown knight's armor... I have definitely had some mornings like this in my life. Thank God we're past them now, but like... Are we? Well, we hope. Waking up on a couch with like, yeah, like shitty drapes with like holes in them. Now it'll be people waking up on your couch. Yeah. And I'm like, how did you get here? (laughs) The guy in the knight's armor is Tim, and Tim is fucking Mark's mom. But they all, Mark... Large and Tim all went to school together. Yeah, which was what makes it awkward. So we have Mark, who is Peter Sarsgaard, and Tim is Jim Parsons, who people would know from the of Big course. Bang Theory and yeah. stuff like that. Sort of weird seeing him in this era. And it's funny that he's the one having a relationship with an older woman who is the mother of someone that they went to school with, which right. is, seems endlessly irritating to Mark. I don't know how he puts up with it as long as he does, though. Well, what is he supposed to do? Well, he eventually kicks him out of the house. <laughs> His mom is an adult, though. It is true. But I'd be like, Mom, you're embarrassing the family. We all had friends with moms like Carol, though. 
Oh, yeah. Just sitting there with them when they're, like, smoking pot. She's smoking pot. For sure. She's got all of these, like, opinions about what Mark's up to, but she's also more of, like, a friend than anything else. Yeah, yeah. I I can remember. (laughs) It seems cool at the time, but then in retrospect, there's always some trace of sadness to it where you're just like, oof, come on. (laughs) Act appropriate. Get it together, Carol. I guess at a certain point... Once your son is officially a loser and he's above 18 and he's still just hanging around. I, above 18, I mean, he's pushing 30. Yeah, and it's just the two of you. It's like, what are you? I, they are more like peers at this point. They're roommates. Yeah. Andrew goes to this doctor's apartment for his headaches. In the waiting room, there's a service dog humping Andrew's leg. Yeah. And then there's a girl laughing at the situation, which I thought was legitimately funny even now i was like this is funny watching natalie portman laugh at this dog humping his leg i never really put as much thought into it until this viewing where i'm i cannot believe he's not putting up more of a fight against this i would be supposed to do i would be like throwing this dog off of me you're afraid of dogs well and that dog is big (laughs) yes but all the more reason that i would be like i could see you totally just having this happen with the girl watching and laughing and saying kick him in the balls and you just not knowing what to do although that is like her one and only attempt at like a jersey accent kick him in his balls i feel like it's very forced i didn't even notice that yeah it doesn't it doesn't feel very natural go back and watch it (laughs) all right we're gonna pause right now (laughs) andrew meets a young woman named sam played by natalie portman Sam recognizes him from his one movie, which may or may not be a TV movie. <laughs> which I actually think this is great still, that she is, thinks that this is awesome, that she recognizes him from yeah. this movie. I recognize you. Oh, did you go to Columbia High? No, not from high school, from TV. Didn't you play the retarded quarterback? Yeah. Are you really retarded? No, I'm not. Cool. Great job, man. I mean, I thought you were really retarded. You're just as good as that quirky kid, and he's actually retarded. I mean, if there's some sort of, like, retarded Oscar, you would win, like, hands down, kick his ass. Well, thank you. Thanks. I appreciate it. I have to fill out this form, though, so... Right on. Thanks. My cousin's an actor. Jake Ryan Winters. Doubt you've ever heard of him. He's, like, on Xeno once as a gnome or something. That's really cool, though. Thanks. Oh, my God. That scene, that last scene where you give the speech to the whole stadium and your dad, oh, and your dad gives you the thumbs up. That was like, that was emotional. So you got anything else coming out? No, you know, I'm just, I'm auditioning. I can't believe you're not really retarded. I mean, Jake's not a very good actor. You can't really tell on Xena because he's like in the hairy gnome suit and everything. But when we were little, he used to put on these really, really low-budget renditions of Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals in our attic, and they were awful, like so bad. Ah. Oh, it sucks though, because there's not that much work for little people, you know. Anyway, oh, I'm talking too much. I'll just, you gotta fill out your forms. What are you listening to? The Shins. You know them. No. You gotta hear this one song. It'll change your life, I swear. Oh, I'm sorry. You have to. Uh, I gotta fill out your forms. Conundrum. 
This is a politically incorrect conversation, but it's I'd also say. super hilarious. Yeah, yeah. There's no way around it. The first time I saw this movie back in like '05 or whatever, I this thought is this one was of the scenes brilliantly that, funny. That, but it is one of the scenes <laughs> that makes it seem like there's something wrong with her aside from epilepsy. Yeah, like she would really believe this. I mean, if she's a manic pixie dream girl, she's really hitting the manic part. She is like all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bouncing off the walls, talking a mile a minute. She's also a compulsive liar, which we'll sort of find out later. And flat out annoying. I mean, there's just no other way to say it. I, I did agree. find her kind of annoying. And even though we we know that we're both in love with Natalie Portman, there were times where I was like, if she wasn't famous, like she wasn't Natalie Portman, but it was her, like if she looked exactly the same and I met her somewhere and we were hanging out and she started doing some of the stuff that she does, I think that I would probably bail. I'd be like, <laughs> I got to get out of this. This yeah, is yeah. too much. Right. When she starts doing that, like, I'm going to do a unique sound and thing and movement that no one's ever done before. And that all part that is stuff. uncomfortable. Yeah. In a way, now she more starts so doing than that. I don't even say anything. I'm already out the door. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> Have fun burying your hamster. She introduces Andrew to the shins. This is sort of a masturbatory moment for Zach Braff. He handpicked all of these songs, he cultivated this playlist. He then gets to have a beautiful woman act like this music is so great well, and there are introduce it to him perks to being the director of your own well, movie yeah yeah but it just seems like a little too like how great is this song that right. i like yeah yeah <laughs> in andrew's meeting with the doctor it's revealed that andrew has been on lithium and a whole treasure trove of other mood stabilizers and antidepressants since the age of 10 is this doctor being a little bit negligent by not maybe reporting bilbo baggins doesn't this seem like... He seems like more of a carefree... Yeah, it's especially true. Especially when he reveals his <laughs> example here in a minute. <laughs> but Andrew has recently stopped taking them. His father, a psychiatrist, put him on these medications. The doctor then proceeds to give an example of finding out that his wife was having an affair and not being able to get an erection for a year and a half. Yeah, what don't really know why you would share that with someone you just met five minutes <laughs> so ago. So easily, yeah. I, I don't know if it's meant to be disarming, but I mean, what's he trying to get out of, Andrew? Let's talk about boners. Yeah. So this introduces the whole theme of protection through medication, which is something that has been going on in Andrew's life for the past 16 plus years, whatever. Well, yeah, I mean, he's basically... Blunting reality. Revealing that, you know, my dad is my psychiatrist. He's been prescribing me drugs since I was whatever age, and it just feels, like, unethical. It's certainly unethical. I guess it's designed to protect him from himself, protect him from his own emotions. But, of course, the idea of the movie is to experience life and life is not always perfect there's messy parts to life we don't know how fucked up andrew's past is yet we will learn that later i did think it's pretty funny that when he woke up at mark's house he had balls written on his forehead and then he scrubs that off and then when he gets into the mri machine his shirt is off yeah well there's all kinds of stuff written on his stomach i've had some of those nights in my life (laughs) (laughs) especially because i was always the first to pass out, of course. Yeah, you were going to sleep at like 8.30. <laughs> when I was like 19, I was carrying the stress of like a 45-year-old. <laughs> Andrew finds Sam once again outside the office. We find out that she is a pathological liar, although pretty low stakes. She always admits she's lying, and the things that she lies about don't really seem that significant. That's right. He offers her a ride home. 
She does not ride in the sidecar, though, which is sort of funny that they introduce this motorcycle with a sidecar, and then as soon as he rides someone, she won't ride in it. Right. He ends up taking her to Jesse's mansion to potentially use as an excuse to duck out quicker. They come up with this whole plan where she's going to have a signal to go. It's all just basically a five-second joke, which is actually pretty funny. Yeah, I think so. Where <laughs> the whole idea of Jesse is he seems like a decent guy who got really lucky and got rich. Now he's super bored. And so his idea of entertainment is to have this flaming arrow that he shoots into the air with a crossbow, and then they all run out of the way. <laughs> so it doesn't land on them. And then it almost lands on Natalie Portman, like it lands at her feet, and then she immediately does the yeah, signal, which is pulling her ear. It's it, pretty funny. I think so. It is wild that you're just like, all right, I'm going to bring you by to, to meet my friend. And this guy's just like, hey, nice to meet you. Let's go stand in my yard while I shoot flaming arrows <laughs> into the sky and see what happens. Sam invites Andrew into her house, and we meet Sam's mom, played by Ann Dowd, who also yes. played Kim Kelly's mom in Freaks and Geeks that we did last week. A little we bit different. We forgot to mention by name. Yeah, that's true, but a little bit different home dynamic here. No, she loves Sam much more than she loves Kim. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> I think she's great in this role. She has this like disarming quality that like, yes. I'm feeling comforted by it. Just as a viewer. Well, that's the thing where you get these like very professional character actors who just work for like 30 years and then yeah, you right. look at their IMDb and they have like 180 credits. It's because they're just reliable. They get the job done. You probably don't even need to explain anything to them as a director. It's just like they know what to do. Yeah. And I felt a little bit bad that we didn't mention her by name because her scene in that episode of Freaks and Geeks is like very fast. I mean, it's just the one scene. But she's in a couple in Garden State, so we get a chance to mention her now. But this is like such a juxtaposition or such a contrast between the Largeman household, which is very stuffy and cold, and this is like kind of goofy, but very warm and feels Well, yeah, I had that written down later whenever there's the hugging moment. But yeah, that's essentially what I was referring to, where it's like, this movie's not super subtle. It's like the comparison (laughs) between families is right there in your face. And then even, I was thinking, we might as well just do this now. When you compare, well, we should save it until we find out what's really going on with Mark. Because it's it's a lot more grim than you would think on the surface. Surely, yeah. (laughs) The house is insane. There are hamster tubes everywhere. (laughs) There's a year-round Christmas tree in the corner. And Sam has a semi-adopted brother from Africa, Tatembe who is not actually her adopted brother, but... A Sally Struthers A situation. Sally Struthers situation, who is now living in America, that they've welcomed into their home. It seems to just be the three of them, I right? think so. I think that's right. For some reason, my memory of this movie, I thought there was like a younger sibling too, but no. evidently not. My next note just says, Sam is unbearable. <laughs> <laughs> is this because of like the bedroom scene? Yeah, and doing the little dance with the noise. and everything. That's right, yeah. When I'm feeling... Not unique or whatever. <laughs> We're not going to make out or anything. What? I'm sorry. I just like totally ruined that moment, didn't I? No, no, it's no. just that like we're not going to make out, okay? Oh, no, no, I, I hadn't planned on trying. Oh, my. I am so lean. That was like really. I'm, I'm sorry. I forget I just said that. I'm. That's dumb. And you know what I do when I feel completely unoriginal? Love, 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 love. 
I, I make a noise or I do something that no one has ever done before and then I can feel unique again, even if it's only for like a second. So no one's ever done that? No, not in the spot, no. You just witnessed a completely original moment in human history. It's refreshing, you should try it. Oh, no, no, thanks. No, come on. No, I, you know what, I think that was good enough for the both of us. Come on, what are you, shy? This is your one opportunity to do something that no one has ever done before and that no one will copy again throughout human existence. And, and if nothing else, you'll be remembered as, as the one guy who ever did this, this one thing. How's that? Oh, I've done that one before. <laughs> so, uh, I gotta go bury this hamster before the dogs eat him. Wanna help? I do feel like right up into that moment, I'm kind of buying it. There's a tension building a little bit between these two characters. They're in her bedroom, and then she just, like, kind of yeah, awkwardly... Right, and that feels real to me. Yeah. And then this kind of cuts into like, eh. I do think that Natalie Portman's performance is pretty good. She sort of throws herself into it. It's a crazy role when you think about it because there's a lot going on. It's nothing conventional about it because it's a lot of talking, but it's all over the map. Right. She's supposed to be idealized dream girl, but at the same time have all these like secrets and weird lying tics. And and it's goofy. Very goofy and manic and weird. It's a lot to to process, and I think she pulls it off fairly well. And she's also kind of inappropriate in a very fun way, in my opinion. This is some of the stuff that doesn't age well, which I always think is funny because a lot of times when you see reviews on IMDb or Letterboxd or something, it's people like bending over backwards to shit on the movie while also praising Natalie Portman because, you know, let's be honest, that's just how it is. Sure. And yet, when you watch this movie, I do think that like a lot of the most inappropriate stuff comes from her character I'd in terms so. of the stuff she says and does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's awkward to even repeat, but she at one point is like, you're very Jewish or something like that. Oh, you're right, so right. Jewish yeah. or something. And she doesn't mean it in a bad way or a derogatory oh, way yeah, yeah. or anything like that. But it is weird, though, because like the second he even starts talking about it a little bit, she's like immediately shuts it down like, I'm not religious at all. As if like there's something wrong with it. Like it kind of comes off that way. I don't know if it comes off that way, but because that would imply that she means it that way. I don't think she means it that way. Okay. I just think she's just insane. I just think she just is rattling things off. Oh, sh- it's sure. like okay, there's right. no filter. I don't think it's nefarious. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like she says a lot of stuff that's inappropriate, but I think it's sort of funny and it's almost refreshing in a highly sanitized time we live in now. Before we started recording, we had a whole discussion of when we thought comedy died. It was There was never going to be any funny movies anymore. Well, well, yeah. I mean, we're living in that world now. Yeah. So I think you have to allow characters to be spur of the moment, to talk how people really talk. And I think that those are the things that still stand out to me about Garden State, even though those are also the same things that people are probably the most critical of now sure. and feel like don't age well. They have a hamster funeral in the backyard for Jelly, who died. Yes. This is where Andrew reveals to Sam that his mother just died. Which is crazy. (laughs) Yeah, I do feel like, dude, why would you just dump this on this girl? I talk about a a moment killer. 
But I, yeah. you're kind of on, it is, you're on this weird path now where, like, something's developing. And he waited like, too long. Like, I, right. he needed to say this earlier, and then once he missed that point, he should have just not said it Now you just have to live with, live with the secret. Unless she <laughs> yeah. specifically says, why are you in New Jersey? Because he even says, like, that's the reason I'm in New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. No, the only way you should have even said it was if she specifically asked at this point, because you already missed the window of appropriateness. Sure. Now you're just throwing this out of nowhere. Yeah. And she's quick and easy with emotions, unlike him. She's crying immediately, even though she never met his mother and right. just met him. But she's, like, jumping in and out of emotions, like, so quick here. Crying to making jokes to, like, yeah. having this serious moment about this hamster funeral. And then when he makes a joke about the words that they say. I guess you weren't too good with wheels or something like and that. And she's like. That's not funny. Legitimately mad. <laughs> The thing about the manic pixie dream girl is that another thing that people always point out is like this high availability, this inexplicable availability of this perfect girl. Sure. And of course, that is unbelievable and it is crazy. And Natalie Portman is gorgeous and it doesn't I, I, really make sense I, that she's just available. Their okay, availability sure. to the main character is always just easy. Aside from the fact that Natalie Portman is a goddess and, you know, beautiful. <laughs> I do want to walk back this thing a little bit, though, because I can buy this character, like this person existing. I just live with my mom, and I don't really have friends. I I do think that people like this exist. Now, do they look like Natalie Portman? I'm going to say no. No, that ties in with what my point was going to be, though, which is, isn't that every movie? Oh, sure, sure. Isn't that because actresses are attractive? So anytime there's an attractive woman in a movie, it seems insane. That they're just available. But I feel that's like we how talk people about meet it on like, in movies. Like every episode, yeah. Yeah, I think that's inherently part of the problem when you're talking about a Hollywood movie is a lot of actresses are attractive. Those are the people that get cast into parts. Because, let's be honest, viewers want to see attractive men and women on screen. That's just how it is. So they cast somebody who looks like Natalie Portman in this part. And so, yeah, she seems like this dream girl that's unbelievable. It's like, who is this person? She's so quirky and weird and fun and cheery, but also stunningly beautiful. Yeah. Why does he just get to walk into her life and have her available? I don't know. Sometimes you just have to file that under movie magic. There is no logic to that. It's just how it is. Yeah. Are you feeling like the law office that Sam works at? Like, you can't believe, like, why aren't these pre-law interns, like, stumbling all over themselves? Well, when she explains the helmet. Yeah. Alright, hold on. I feel like you can just let that fly. Okay. <laughs> We're getting crazy tonight. Big night. <laughs> Andrew's dad wants to talk before he goes back to LA. Andrew sort of puts him off for the time being. And so far, the big truth, quote unquote, has yet to be revealed. What exactly is, it, is the backstory? Have here? they just been avoiding this conversation for their whole life? Yes. Later, Andrew and Jesse sit in the cemetery as Mark digs another grave. Andrew observes Mark stealing jewelry from the corpse being buried. Moment of realization. The camera, like, stops. Like, the two of them share a moment staring at each other. Yeah, because obviously there are worse things you can do in the world, but it does seem like a pretty low moment. I do think it's interesting that Out of the two friends that sort of come to the foreground, Andrew is sort of in the middle in terms of where his life is. You have one friend who is 
inexplicably and immeasurably successful out of nowhere, and then you have one Robin Graves. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. what is this scenario? And he's sort of floating there, medicated in the middle, not sure what the fuck's going on. That's right. Andrew then returns to Sam's house, and her mom wants to watch the ice skating tape, and she then inadvertently reveals that she's epileptic, which is something that Sam has not told him. Right. He sort of... Thought that the helmet story was legit? Yeah. I guess he just didn't want to question the helmet thing too much at the time, but he just, you know, accepts this without really acknowledging it because the scenario has played out in a way where that any acknowledgement would have just been embarrassing for everybody like, maybe she's just like a soccer goalkeeper <laughs> yeah it wasn't like a very peter check <laughs> type helmet when they leave mom's got hugs for not only sam but andrew takes one as well and so right away you can see you know this is just something he's not really had in his life at all that's right breathe some life into him sam is sort of just embarrassed but andrew is really digging the family connection here. but i do feel like I don't know, maybe this is nitpicky. But as we go on here, Sam starts to feel more normal to me. Like, she seems, like, weird and there's something wrong with her for the first half, but then I feel like... That could be nerves. Yeah, it She's could be. nervous. She she doesn't really have many friends, it seems like, or people she hangs around with. She doesn't yeah. really know what to do. Like, and now her guard is sort of coming down a little bit. Okay, I can buy that. Yeah, I don't know if that's intentional or not, but I think you can you can kind of explain that away a little bit. They end up spending the day together, and then they end up at a bar. They discuss Andrew's numbness, which has just been a recurring thing in his life, and then they meet up with his friends. I did like when Mark just shows up yelling vagina, and then he like re- apologizes. I didn't know that you were here. <laughs> I'm sorry. I said vagina. Yeah. I, well, I like how he's apologizing about that. Yeah, he did just yell <laughs> vagina in like a public space. <laughs> There's a bunch of people. It's New bar. Jersey. Yeah, that's true. Come on. Yeah. I can say that I used to live in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. They eventually all end up at Jesse's mansion. They what go you feel swimming like, in their underwear. I mean, every party would just end here all the time. Yeah, why would you ever not be there? Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> this is not the, where they have the house party earlier right. in the movie. Because his house doesn't even have furniture. And they drive indoors in a golf cart. Which is a baller like, move. room to room. Yeah. <laughs> I do actually think it's funny that he has like no furniture. <laughs> I bought a chair once and I didn't like it. What happened to it? It's what's keeping us warm yeah. as they're in front of a fireplace. Right. Even though when you look at it, it's clearly fire logs and not a piece of furniture. Well, maybe he's just making a joke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're in the pool. Everyone's swimming in their underwear. I mean, how great would this be, though, to be like Jesse? I mean, it would be like Footloose. <laughs> that, that reference makes zero sense <laughs> to anyone. <laughs> Because it's not even a reference of the movie Footloose. It's a reference to somebody describing somebody's Footloose. <laughs> I know, but just the idea. Like, okay, this whatever random town in Jersey, and then you just like... Oh, yeah, you're oh, a so, god. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I it's mean, a it, fantasy. It's what everybody wants. And I think that's probably the point of the character, is that his life seems sort of empty. Yet, <laughs> even now in 2021, I'm still like, yeah, I think that'd be pretty great. To just get all that money and not have to do anything ever. <laughs> yeah. It seems still like the dream to me. That's the thing. I don't care how some... much he tells us. It's boring. Right. <laughs> At some point, you would have bought like every movie. Well, I would just yeah, have a movie theater in my house. The first month, I went out and bought a bunch of shit. It would just be like, yeah, you'd have a movie theater built. You've bought every movie. And now you're just like, well, now what? Watch them. <laughs> 
That letterbox <laughs> would be fire. Straight fire. <laughs> so while the four of them are sitting by the fireplace, all of the other people have sort of faded away and gone somewhere else. It's Andrew, Sam, Mark, and Jesse. Andrew recounts his bummer story about what happened to his mother and what the whole deal is. This is, I guess, date number two, really, day two of knowing someone. I, I feel like this is a bombshell to drop. And it's also the first time that his friends are really finding out about it, who knew him at the time. I would say, besides recasting Zach Braff in the lead, my other hot take for this movie is, he sort of just downplays this, like, it's nothing. Yeah, yeah. And that's his whole big thing. He does it to his friends here, and then he does it in sort of the emotional climax with his father later. I don't know if it's that simple. No. I don't know if the answer is just, hey, it was a mistake. I can remember being nine years old. I don't really think I ever pushed my mom. I can definitely say I lived in fear of doing that. (laughs) (laughs) I I just don't ever think that was something that I, I would have ever done or considered doing. And I think that... If he did do it at age nine, then he probably was sort of also, mentally disturbed. He's a pretty skinny dude. You feel like the nine-year-old version of him couldn't have been very strong. It's like, come on, Mom. Well, she Hold tripped over the open yeah, dishwasher door yeah. and hit her head on the ledge. Uh, yeah, I know. but. And I think just the idea that you can magically forgive yourself instantly for this just by... Well, meeting new people, meeting a new girl in New Jersey, that everything is going to be fine mentally about it. I do feel like this is something... His doctor does say it at one point, the head doctor right. that he went to. You have to go to therapy to talk about this. That's like, true. You can't just medicate this away. He doesn't even know the doctor. He doesn't even know oh, what yeah, the yeah. story is. He's just like, whatever the reason is that you're on this stuff, you can't just medicate away. That's and then right. they don't really address that. I mean, he, at the end, he's like, oh, I got to go f- work on myself. And then he's like, well, never mind. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's all <laughs> leading to some bad blow up. Yeah. I just think that he is a little casual about the fact that he pushed his mom and she became paralyzed. I'm not saying it's his fault. I know he was a kid. I get that. I get why he can sort of move on from that aspect of it. But it's still going to be like a trauma that hangs over you and you're not going to just be able to like decide that the guilt is going away. Yeah. You don't get to just decide that she just died because she drowned in a bathtub because she was paralyzed because you pushed her. It's not, not fucked up. It is fucked up. You're like Mark or Jesse in this scene. Like (laughs) he's just trying to blow past it. Yeah, no, I, I think I'm coming to terms with it. And it I like, just get up and, I, like, punch a hole in the I wall. I will not accept this. This is bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Jesse's like, didn't you just steal her necklace out of her grave? And I'm like, shut up. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're in it right now, aren't you? What do you mean? My mom always says that when she can see I'm, like, working something out in my head. She's like, You're in it right now. And I'm looking at you, and you're telling me this story and you're definitely in it right now I think you're right I am in it maybe whatever all right can we just change the subject okay let's just let's just talk about good stuff good stuff I like glass half full shit what do you got got a little buzz I got that (laughs) what you got I got a little buzz going. 
and I like you. So there's that. I guess I have that. <laughs> But yeah, Sam just sort of rolls with it, ends the scene by dancing, which again, annoying. The, Although the you whole... almost feel like she's just trying to like get off of that subject because it's just too much. It's, as the viewers, we're kind of like, oh, thank gosh we're past that. It's just like, I don't really want to stay in that conversation anymore. But the dancing thing, this seems like solely for a shot, like a visual, like they crank the music up and then yeah. she's just dancing in the camera's pan. Like it's just for that. It doesn't really make any sense. Yeah, I think the idea here is that they have feelings for each other. We know where this is headed. This is not just a comedy. It is a romance. It is a meet-cute, whatever. <laughs> okay. It doesn't get any cuter than meeting outside the hospital. That's right. And riding on a motorcycle. The next day, with Andrew's time in New Jersey winding down, Mark tells him that he, quote, needs help tracking down a specific going-away present for him. Don't really understand why Andrew would just go along with this without questioning it more. Be like, what What do you mean a going away present? What are you talking about? When did Mark start thinking about this? They sort of try to explain that, but I don't know. Is it when he knew he was caught? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh shit. He's going to put two and two together eventually. Yeah. Although, as a viewer, you almost think like, oh, I didn't even consider that until it happens. Right, right. And then once it happens, although I guess that is sort of why they freeze on that for yeah. so long, because you are supposed to think like, okay, well, they buried my mom, and did this happen to my mom? Yeah. How do I feel about this? I, although, who knows, maybe nothing, because God forbid Zach Braff like, act at all in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Sam ends up joining them, though, because Andrew had promised her that they would spend time together on his last day. So they end up on this insane mission that has several stops on it which is sort of the focal point of the movie this whole last day in new jersey it's the thing that i kind of remember the most looking back on this movie yeah is these various stops in fact when i was re-watching it for the podcast i was shocked at how long it was taking to get to method man and all this stuff i remember yeah, that happening this, much sooner for some I, reason I, this is the part of the movie this whole trajectory this day and the events it's so weird to even say this, but like it was the part of the movie that inspired you afterwards. Like you wanted to do something. I know it all culminates in the the quarry, but I don't know. Looking back on it, it, it doesn't seem like there's much to it. First, they go to a local store called Handy World. They encounter a guy named Benson who's pretty funny. He's trying to pitch them on a pyramid scheme. Sort of a familiar looking guy. What's he from? Oh yeah, he's in stuff. <laughs> Didn't really answer the question, just sort of reaffirmed what I was saying. I, I don't know his name. He's in 500 Days of Oh, Summer. he's in Super Troopers. He's the guy that was married oh, yeah, yeah. to Christina Hendricks. That's right, yeah. Oh, my God. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> he was in another, like... One of the all-time with... Hollywood marriages, folks. He was in a movie with Martin Starr and... We can move past it. <laughs> hey, weren't you on a TV show or something? Yeah, it was just this, just this show. So, um, you're, like, working here? That's cool. Only for a little while. I'm opening my own business. Actually, I should talk to you about it. I'm looking for smart people like you, Large. I should get your number. Yeah, definitely. That'd be, that'd be cool. I'd like to talk to you both 
about a good opportunity for you and your loved ones. We all have dreams. I know I do. I'd like to talk to you about an exciting opportunity that people are talking about. We gotta get going. Oh, uh, okay. It was good to see you, Carl. Hey, I should get your number. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'll call you because I think he has it in his book. Nice to meet you. So then Mark picks up these knives in the store and then returns the knives to get $40 in cash. Actually, a pretty cool move. Anything under $40 you can get cash for without a receipt, which is an insane store policy. It, it is one of those things. I actually think this is a great scene and a great move because it rings so true. If you do anything with confidence... Why do you want to return the knives? They're not sharp enough. Yeah. It comes with a sharpener. Did you try it? Yeah. I don't want them. They're not sharp <laughs> enough. <laughs> I want to cut cans. <laughs> you bought these knives to cut cans? No, but the commercial said they would. Sam's like, this person is your friend? <laughs> but it gets worse because stop number two. I don't even know what the stops are for. He has to like buy a tank. Well, this- to give to Method Man to get an address right, to go well, to the we, quarry. We miss some stops because it's like he, he gets the nitrous oxide tank, but he does. I thought he got that after when he when he got the money from yeah, the knives. No, no, right, but we don't see that stop. Is what I'm saying. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But like it, it's quick. But he basically says it costs like thirty nine dollars to rent the nitrous oxide tank, and he returns something that was supposed to be like. And so, shy what of $40. does the nitrous oxide tank get him? Just an address. That's what he gives to Method Man. And he just gives him an address. Yeah. Right? I guess so. It doesn't really even... It's not fully explained. It just seems like stuff is happening. Well, even this guy that lives in this boat, <laughs> that whole connection is... I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to... So then they go to this hotel where Method Man works. I don't really know what his character's name is. doesn't matter. It's this secret hallway where people gather to watch people have sex in a hotel kind of an insane thing to just throw into this movie it really makes you wonder if this is common <laughs> like how yeah. common is this yeah, that that is one of the how do you find out about it when you pause and are like what made him write this into the script now i know shit like this has happened obviously every now and then something will come out people will be recorded there were secret peoples whatever i don't know how common it is doesn't seem like it would be that common. It seems like the risk far outweighs the benefit. How ridiculous is Method Man's bellhop outfit? <laughs> Does this hotel seem like they would have bellhops that have to wear outfits like this? Yeah, especially since this seems like a specifically designed <laughs> right. hallway where this can happen. Because what is the layout of this building where there's this secret hall? Because there's not just like three or four people. There's like 12 people in there watching different rooms. <laughs> a camera that's projecting it. I like that it. you can just count on this many people coming to have sex. Like, Well, that also leads yeah. you to, like, what kind of hotel is this? Sure. Like, yeah. they're bringing prostitutes. Has to be. You feel embarrassed that he's brought Sam on this journey because it's just completely ridiculous. Yeah, and I mean, it plays as kind of goofy and funny in the scene, but it, if this was real, it's like, how seedy would this be? She seems like she has a naive you know a naiveness to her and like sort of an innocence and it's just like yeah it seems like a horrible thing to do and it is kind of the graduate-esque when he brings yeah he brings her to a strip club for like their first date well method man's like who all just saw titties raise your hand that and then yeah she she raises her hand too (laughs) having her in these scenes is funny I agree, I agree. Because even though she's been in R-rated movies, movies that have like open and frank dialogue, like Closer or 
R-rated things like V for Vendetta or whatever, there is like that seedy Man, element to some of this stuff. She was on. <laughs> what the fuck are we doing? Just be patient, man. Well, dude, we've been patient all day, but it's my last day in town, and you haven't told us what we're doing. I mean, if you told me we were going on a six-hour scavenger hunt for a blow, I would have passed. No, please. If I was going to get you coke, we would have gone to the fucking high school football practice. It would have been rolling five hours ago. I think we corrupted this innocent girl enough for one afternoon. I'm not innocent. Yes, you are, all right? And that's what I like about you. And I don't want this guy taking, like, some sketchy quarry in the middle of nowhere to find, like, crack whores huffing turpentine or, like, pit bulls raping each other or whatever it is you have us doing. Wow. That's like the most worked up I've ever seen you. He was protecting me. So? He likes me. Don't be cute. He's my knight in shining armor. Don't talk about knights in front of Mark. It's a sore subject. I'm gonna kill that motherfucker. Pun intended? Oh, you're a There's a man named Albert and his wife who live in an old boat who have been hired to keep intruders out of this giant quarry in Newark. This is who Mark has come to talk to. He had to go on these steps to get this information. Albert and his wife consider themselves guardians of an infinite abyss, and the stuff that he's talking about when he's talking to the three of them who have arrived here echoes some of what Sam was saying with her dancing and weird noises about something completely unique that no one's ever done before. The backstory on this quarry is like kind of strange, too. Someone's trying to build a mall here. Yeah, it doesn't really seem like you'd be able to build a mall on a, an infinite <laughs> <know>. queer <laughs> abyss. It yeah, just, I was thinking that, too. It structurally, like, it seems like there'd be some problems. You're going to build a parking garage by here and just start sinking into the ground. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's obviously completely made up. It's not like a real place. It seems like right. a little bit of CGI work here. Yeah, yeah. Finally, Albert explains that what actually matters is living here with his family. Andrew takes inspiration from the conversation and outside in the rain, he climbs atop a derelict crane and screams into the quarry. He's then joined by Sam and Mark, who do the same. And then Andrew and Sam kiss. Yeah. Mark, the camera kind of fixates on his <laughs> like, yeah. reacting. I've always that. thought that, too. Yeah. That weird lingering like look that yeah. he has. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know what to say about it, but it's noticeable. Yeah, he's just sort of looking at them like he's going to murder them both. <laughs> Like, what are you doing? And it is kind of like a dick move to just be like, all right, we're just going to start making out. They're all wearing the trash bags. Right. I do like Albert's wife, how she's just, it just feels very abrupt, where she's like, well, good luck with the rain. (laughs) I know. Not (laughs) that you guys want to wait out the storm. (laughs) Oh, nice to see (laughs) you. I've got some garbage bags if you want them. Because that's where you belong. Right. Meanwhile, they're living in some, like, decrepit boat that's halfway down an abyss. Yeah, which seems like with the rain, they'd be, like, at risk of something, <laughs> like a mudslide. They're, they have, like, an infant baby. Yeah. <laughs> they it don't seem feel, super responsible. Yeah. But Mark has got the gift from Andrew, this gift. And this gift turns out to be Andrew's mother's favorite necklace, which Mark had stolen and then sold and now is tracked back down. But I, again, like this guy that lives in the boat, he's just like a part-time antique jewelry recover jewelry. Yeah, that's Something. like what he does in his spare time when he's not defending the infinite abyss. 
yeah, you do sort of have to put the pieces together yourself because it's sort of just like, I don't know how this guy ended up with this necklace. Who knows? <laughs> and I don't know how what we just did tracked this down. It's I don't who knows what is method man going to do with that nitrous oxide tank and it's only a rental by the way we well, wanted the balloons turn. remember yeah <laughs> what am i a fucking party clown that's right <laughs> sam and andrew now really working themselves up for their impending separation in the bathtub admittedly sort of an annoying scene again these two sometimes you're just like you have to just grow up guys make a decision and if the decision is he's leaving, then stop acting like it's so tragic because it's still just a decision. It's not like he's got some hot career going. It is weird that he's supposed to be like 25, 26. Yeah, they're acting like it's impossible for them to like f- figure this out. It's like, I don't know, cell phones existed. I mean, we were pretty close to Facebook. I mean, you guys could stay connected. <laughs> yeah. Don't act like this is bug juice. <laughs> they end up sleeping together. And then Andrew eventually talks with his father, and he does most of the talking. He states he was not to blame for his mother's accident. His father's like, well, I disagree. <laughs> yeah, really? Let's take Imagine a survey. Imagine you married see... the love of your life, and your asshole prick son pushes your wife, and then she's just handicapped. She's paralyzed from the neck down forever. Yeah, that's horrible. <laughs> I would kill the kid. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, you're not. And it's fine. <laughs> yeah. He also says that he will live the rest of his life without the medications. He forgives his father and says he wants to build a better relationship with him. Bilbo Baggins really no comment to any of this stuff. I not reacting. I I'm like, does he care that he's in this movie? <laughs> he doesn't really seem like he's chewing up these scenes. He probably didn't understand the movie. Mm. The next morning, Andrew says his goodbyes to Sam at the airport, who is begging him to stay, of course. Stay? What's the plan here? Well, what's the plan if he goes back? Work at that, that restaurant? That is true. There's not much That's to That's what I mean. To. It's not like he has some big thing he's going He acts like he has to go back. It's oh, like, I, I do what? agree with you on this. Well, he does have an apartment. There's some well, that's the stuff be... that he can like figure out later. Sure, sure. This sure. is the the point of this scene is is he going to go back for good or stay for good? Yep. Obviously, the details would have to be worked out right, separately. Right. Okay. Well, I'm interested in the details. <laughs> well, it's a movie. They want it to be actually entertaining. They don't want to be like have him yeah. calling his like landlord. Well, and I, being like, that... I need to sublet my part. That's my movie. I'm like, well, I have eight months left on my lease. <laughs> In 2004, you're like flipping through a yellow page, and then you're like posting notices on a bulletin board, yeah. apartment available. You don't understand. I pay an extra 50 bucks a month for a parking spot. <laughs> you're blowing your chance with Natalie Portman. <laughs> really? Because I just, I, I just can't live with eight months of paying for an apartment that I'm not How am I going to get my stuff back here? I can't <laughs> figure it out. <laughs> he says he wants to go fix himself first adamant that he must leave and go off on his own this whole scene i know that this is one of the favorite scenes of the people who do love this movie because it's like the romantic moment obviously we're building towards this happy ending here i don't really understand it they've also known this each is other for post days, 9-11 the right way. right it is how yeah. was he getting on this plane Wait, and getting on. off let me think was it 2004 after yes yeah, but is this supposed to be set before 9-11? That's a good point. I just don't understand what he's doing. Like, he gets on the plane and then gets off the plane. How do you do that? Yeah, you're not allowed. 
but it's never really even addressed or shown or anything. It's if just... you get on the plane and try to get off, you go to jail immediately. <laughs> so he says he's going to go, and he goes, and he boards the flight. Sam is left crying for some reason. She gets into a phone booth, which is another thing that you wouldn't see exist now. Just a plethora of phone booths everywhere. There still are in airports, <laughs> but like yeah, they're not prob- in use anymore. Yeah, there probably are some, especially like those international deals or whatever. That's right. Do you remember that idea I had about working stuff out on my own and then finding it once I figured stuff out? The ellipsis? Yeah, the ellipsis. It's dumb. It's dumb. It's an awful idea. And I'm not going to do it, okay? Because like you said, this is it. This is life. And I'm in love with you, Samantha. I think that's the only thing I've ever been really sure of in my entire life. I'm really messed up right now, and I got a whole lot of stuff I got to work out, but I don't want to waste any more of my life without you in it, okay? Yeah. And I think I can do this. I I want to. We have to, right? Yeah. Right? Yes. (laughs) So what do we do? What do we do? She is crying, but then inexplicably Andrew returns, not wanting to waste any more of his life without Sam, which of course is the only rational decision, even though it could be all heading towards an explosion. But if you have a chance with Natalie Portman, you're you going to risk it. that explosion. Yeah. Right. Why wouldn't you? Yes. His life been in saying... L.A. seemed like it sucked. <laughs> I, I would agree. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't seem like he was getting a lot of auditions. To be fair, I, I've been waiting for Natalie Portman to be part of my life for every day. I mean, it's just. I don't think it's going to happen. I, I'm going to say no. <laughs> Although, we'll continue to go see their movies. I would say, in fairness to Nate, who requested this i think that garden state is still pretty entertaining and for people who haven't seen it they should check it out i think it's still funny i think a lot of the criticism levied against it is sort of silly it's that same nitpicking the past that you have to put up with all the time whether it's john hughes movies or oh yeah and i think whatever like just like john hughes movies i think there is that early 2000s era that this like fits into with like an eternal sunshine a vanilla sky. I I, I, <laughs> sky. I I do. I think it slides. I think it fits into that time period. The thing with those two movies, though, there is sort of the supernatural sure. science there fiction is, element definitely. to it. This is not that at all. This is like if you tweak the dialogue and some of the problematic things. I mean, this is like an indie drama that could fit in any era. Totally, basically. but there's definitely like this. I know Xanax, the vibe. like cloudy, yeah. like I, I don't know. The, yeah, the, the shins, right? Wearing garbage bags, absolutely. <laughs> I don't think that you need to reevaluate the movies from your youth that you liked. You probably associate movies you like with the time period with which you first watched them, and this definitely reminds me of living in the dorms when I was in college, where I first watched it. And the music that I listened to, the type of girls I was interested in because of Natalie Portman, you know, stuff yeah, like yeah. that. It was just very much an, an era. And for whatever reason, you go a long time without rewatching something and then you, you dive back in and revisit. And some of the stuff makes you cringe a little bit. Some of it makes you laugh. Some of it you have nostalgia for. It's a fun little revisit to a movie that definitely had like yeah. a pretty big reputation around the time. I don't know 
if like you said i don't know if like younger people are relating to it and seeing it i know now it's weird I, it's just such a different generation now you, you wonder if they would see something like this and just i'm guessing this probably played on comedy central or like uh fx or something sure, at some sure. point but now I, I don't know who knows <laughs> yeah probably pops up streaming different places from time to time oh i think so and i know you say it, it happens but it does feel like is there a a Grady trip thing here for Zach Braff where it's just like look I mean it was a 2.5 million dollar budget made like 35 million that's a hit or at least you know that's a a success and that was kind of it in terms of him directing other than whatever it is 10 years later he does this crowdfunded movie that kind of comes and goes with no one really caring about it I don't know what is your point I (laughs) that that happened yeah. yeah, it happened. Yeah, I don't. What do you? What are we supposed to say about that? I don't know. <laughs> Nothing. I guess. <laughs> I just don't know what, where are we going with this. I know. I don't. I don't know. It happened. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to explain it, but you didn't accept it. <laughs> I said he was busy with Scrubs. <laughs> okay. He probably right. only wanted to direct his own scripts, and he didn't have another one. Yeah, I think that well, happens that's what, that's to what a lot I'm of saying. People. Yeah, like he just ran out of like this was my idea. And then when Scrubs is over, he wrote another thing. No one wanted to finance it. I think it was hard for him to finance this movie, too. It I'm took sure, a while. Sure, sure. That's the thing. You know, when you rely on other people paying for the movie, he didn't want to put up $2.5 million of his own dollars. He's not Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> no. <laughs> so you go around, you try to shop your projects around. Sometimes people want to do it. Sometimes they don't. And he's not like a professional like screenwriter who churns out scripts. So sure, when he sure. got his second movie and no one wanted to make it, he had to go to... The crowdfunding thing. That's right. Because 10 years later, or whatever it was, it was a lot harder to make movies. And it's even harder now, probably yeah, 10 totally. years since that other movie came out. You know, it's just the market for something like Garden State or things like it is almost non existent in terms of theatrical releases. You're not going to be able to just sell this to like. Oh, yeah, for sure. A studio. You got to hope that you can sell it with Netflix or Hulu or something. I, we say the same shit in every episode. I know, it, I but know. But it's just the I, way it is. I know. I just, I, it feels like the popularity around this movie at the time and the fact that it turned that much of a profit, I guess, if anything, it, it more just feels like a missed opportunity for him to capitalize on that and do something else when he had the opportunity. Yeah, but it probably would have sucked or something. And so, <laughs> and then, okay, yeah. So not it would have diminished. I think we've the... seen that nothing. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> it would have just not lived up to it. Sure. Thanks, Nate, for the uh, listener request. Yeah, hopefully we didn't go too hard on it or anything. I think uh, I, ultimately, listen. I think we like the movie. It's yeah. just there are some things about it I would change. <laughs> sure. I mean, look, I loved the movie during that era. Over the years, I've understood some of the criticism of it, but I'm so much more in defense of it now because i just can't stand that it became like such a pinata yeah it is annoying yeah yeah they only ever go after things though that people actually liked that's true if this movie made like four million dollars and it never really was that big of a deal and only like people who were really really into things remembered it then no one would ever talk about it it's just the, the fact that it was successful at all but yeah so, Nate, if you think we went too hard on it, then go listen to like our early, early, early listener request from years ago where <laughs> well, we trashed really, well, everything. I, I, like People stopped listening to the show because of how we reacted. We to had like request. six listeners back then, and we wanted to alienate all of them one at a time. 
Although I do just think that people have a hard time coming to grips with the fact that, like, just because we're trashing something or making fun of a scene doesn't mean that we hate the movie, although we may have in those instances. You mean the initial listener requests? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Nowadays, <laughs> we wouldn't take the listener request if we, if we didn't want to do it yeah. in the first place. But yeah, I think that this movie was more fun to do than maybe some of Nate's other potential choices because we did have like a personal connection with this movie. Yeah. I think it was like a more personal connection than some of the other ones. I, I don't exactly I remember his entire list, but I think this one was one where I was like, I think we've talked about doing this potentially. It's been on the list before, which I think I say every episode now. <laughs> yeah, well, we've been doing this for five years, and, and there's been a lot of lists. However many lists. lists yeah. that have had hundreds of choices. Yeah, you're just like ripping, like throwing entire notebooks in the fireplace <laughs> and then like starting a new one. Yeah, well, if I didn't have my lists to make, then. You know, this podcast would only be 50% as fun. Yeah. <laughs> the lists are a big part. Yeah, that's true. What are you doing? What? <clears throat> what? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. So let's get to recommendations. I think this week we are going to do a joint recommendation. I think so. Maybe save a little bit of time if you want to introduce the movie. Sure. Streaming on Hulu, starring Francis McDormand. Nomadland, which, is it a 2021 release, or does it count as a 2020? For awards purposes, I think it counts for last year, but, you know, I I don't think it played anywhere, really, or opened anywhere until 2021. Sure. So it would be for this year's Oscars, though, for the 2020. Yeah, they pushed all the deadlines back okay, because yeah. of COVID, and the awards are not happening until the end of April. So it would be up for this I, year's I stuff. put it in my uh, letterbox, just the, the blurb I, I wrote about it, but I was really feeling pretty bummed. This was the first time that I've watched something that I was like, I, I think I would have really enjoyed seeing this in the theater. Okay. You know, since, since COVID. I don't know if I really got that kind of vibe from it, but that's interesting. Really? I, oh, I thought, like, I don't know, it just seemed like, there were some cool outdoors shots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if people want to compare the recent critical reevaluation for Garden State, just look at the variety of different takes people have on this movie, which you would think Chloe Zhao, I think is her name, who directed okay, it. Yeah. Woman, pretty new director, not even like status quo like a Catherine Bigelow or Sofia Coppola. We're talking about like a new, new blood here. Right. A movie starring a woman. Still, there's hit pieces out there floating around. <laughs> they didn't Nothing portray be this well enough yeah. or that well enough. This should have depicted Amazon worse. It should have depicted the lives of gig workers worse, whatever. I, I, I just don't even know how you can win anymore. Anything that you come up with people will figure out a way to criticize it because it's not everything to everyone at all times which is completely insane well i just don't like how the the criticism of everything has to be like the quote smart reason to criticize something like why don't you just be like you, you didn't like it <laughs> that would be refreshing to hear if someone just said oh i, I didn't like it well it's not about liking it or not it's about trying to make some big bigger political point or sure. something Whatever. But I thought it was an awesome movie. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. It's the about type it. of thing that I don't know that I would ever rewatch it, but I think I'll rewatch it. In I my did life. enjoy it. 
<laughs> you think it's like a never rewatch? I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say how I'll feel down the line. But yeah. I'm not rushing to rewatch sure, it. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's more of an experience. I would agree with that. You know, I don't know how many times I need to see her shitting in a bucket. <laughs> American Honey comes to mind, which I haven't rewatched since the. Yeah, the it's, a, it's like it. a rambling experience. I think it's quite as long as that, but it is fairly long. Sure. And, and it's not quite as dark as that, but it is fairly dark. Well, I don't know. I, I It depends on how you view it. It seems like some of the people who live the nomad existence are very like happy and content with it. I think the particular character that Francis McDormand plays is like sort of chosen this life. But yeah. there is definitely a dark side to it. I do think it's dressing up the idea of being homeless which is one of the criticisms against it that it's not really telling the full story about why some of these people live this life but i don't think it's glorified either though no it's not glorifying it but it's not really explaining the fact that this is the only option for some people yeah because of how fucked up things are in this country or in this world but whatever i think Every artist has their own reason for doing a movie, for their own vision of what it is. And sure. I think to tell people you need to do this instead because this is my vision of what this should be. Make your own fucking movie. I then. know. It's, it's always insane to me. It's like if she wanted to make a movie about the evils of Amazon and these gig workers who aren't paid enough to have like a good life, then that's a different movie. If she I wanted feel to like. make the movie that you wanted to make, <laughs> <laughs> why don't you make the movie you want to make? So I would say check it out. On Hulu, another strong performance from Frances McDormand. I w- would expect it to be nominated for stuff come Oscar season, which is going to happen in the spring. I, I don't know. That's going to be a unique feeling. That it's basically going to be almost it's throwing summer. throwing off my annual <laughs> Oscar party that I'm planning on doing for the rest of our lives. And yeah. Hopefully we'll make it an ass clown event at some point. <laughs> anyway... Follow the show on Twitter at Creators Pod. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Send us your sticker requests, please. Please do Do you that. have to? Do you have to like really lean into that one? Yes. Okay. <laughs> you never even gave me any stickers yet. I have a whole bag of them. <laughs> You're going to run out. Also, if you have a listener request like Nate, you can send it to us like he did and preferably give us some choices. And we'll pick the one we think suits us best. I uh, might tell you to have to pick more if they're all a disaster. <laughs> Listen, we'll accept it, but none of these. I think the big difference is now the show is more established than the first time we tried it, when people were trying to be cute and funny and giving us intentionally terrible movies. At least that's what I think in my head. Yeah. Those could not have been movies that you really liked, people. <laughs> right, I know. Some of I, them. But that's what I mean when I just feel like I don't think that... I know. People thought like we wanted to trash movies. Like right. this was how did this get made or some podcast like that. It's like, no, when we say greatest moments in the history of forever, we mean it was a great moment in our life when we saw these movies. Yeah, what do you mean you don't think that we think that Halloween three is like an amazing movie? <laughs> we love Halloween three. It's not a joke. <laughs> Follow us on Letterboxd, Zach nineteen eighty three and Matt Crosby. We thank you so much for listening. Give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That would be great. Tell some friends about us if you want. <laughs> friends that are cool and that understand movies. <laughs> yeah, and if you don't have some, make some. And no bummer loser friends that are just going to harsh our mellow. <laughs> yeah, like get us on some bummer trip. Yeah. <laughs>
I think that'll do it for Garden State, and we'll talk to you next time. Gold teeth and a curse for this town They're all in my mouth Only I don't know how They got out here Turn me back into the death I was when we met I was happier then With no mindset And if you turn Right when you die, holding bone, dawn breaks like a bull through the hall. Never should have called, but my head's to the wall, and I'm lonely. And if you turn. For 85. You know, the average lifespan for an American male is like 72. <laughs> You're really kind of pushing the envelope there. <laughs> I'm not afraid of dying. I never think about it. You don't? Well, I think about it a lot. I think about it at my age. Imagine how much I'll be thinking about it at your age. All I do is just keep thinking about it till it drives me insane. I'm grateful for every moment I have. Grateful? How can you be grateful when you're so close to the end? When you know that any second, poof, bam, oh, it could all be over. I mean, you're not.
not stupid. You can read the handwriting on the wall. It's a matter of simple arithmetic, for God's sake. I guess I just don't care. What are you talking about? How can you sit there and look me in the eye and tell me that you're not worried? Don't you have any sense? Don't you have a brain? Are you so completely senile you don't even know what you're talking about anymore? Wait, wait, wait a second. Where are you going? Life's too short to waste on you. 